This episode of Yap is sponsored by Podcast Republic. Hey, Android users, this one's for you. Podcast Republic is a podcast app where you can discover and subscribe to 1 million shows and enjoy live radio streaming. They have over 85,000 authentic reviews and a 4.6 star app rating in the Google Play Store. It's no secret that Podcast Republic is one of the best podcast apps for Android users. Podcast Republic has super cool features like the ability to take notes while listening to your podcasts, and you can even schedule to play a podcast at a specific time. Imagine being able to wake up and start your day with Young and Profiting Podcast. If you're an Android user, head over to the Google Play Store to download Podcast Republic. And don't forget to rate and review Young and Profiting Podcast while you're at it. You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, self-made billionaires, sleep psychologists, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of side hustles, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. This week on Yap, we have a return guest on the show none other than Peter Malouk. Peter Malouk is the president and CEO of Creative Planning. Creative Planning is a registered investment advisory firm that manages over $50 billion in assets and serves clients in all 50 states. Both Creative Planning and Peter have been repeatedly recognized as industry leaders by organizations such as Barron's, Financial Times, and CNBC. RIA Channel, published by Forbes, recently ranked Creative Planning as the number one wealth manager for 2020. Visit creativeplanning.com to review important information related to their industry recognition. Back in episode number 72, we discussed Peter's thoughts on how the economy will shake out in a post-COVID world. We got his perspective on how you should be investing during the coronavirus and his thoughts on speculative investments like cryptocurrency. After this episode, I encourage you to go back and check out number 72. This time around on Yap, we're going to be taking a deep dive into Peter's upcoming book, The Path, co-authored by Tony Robbins. We'll talk about why Peter thinks the financial services industry is broken, what plans you should lay out before you should even consider to start investing, and how to find the right financial advisor to meet your needs. Hey, Peter, welcome back to Young and Profiting Podcast. Good to be back with you. Yeah, I mean, last time that you were on, it was such a hit. Uh, it was one of our most downloaded episodes ever, which is incredible. Um, so thank you so much. I had to just have you back on now that you have a new book coming out with Tony Robbins on October 13th. It's called The Path. And I'd love to really uh, focus on that. For those of you that missed it, Peter was on back episode number 72. It was called Post-COVID Predictions and Investing Tips with Peter Malouk. Um, like I said, it was one of our most popular episodes. And this time around, I really just want to focus on your book since we covered a lot of your career journey and things like that in the in the previous episode. 
So let's get started. The path is called Accelerating Your Journey to Financial Freedom. It's co-authored by Tony Robbins. It comes out October 13th, and I was lucky enough to get an advanced copy, so I got to read it, and it was fabulous. There's a lot of great strategies, um, but let's start with your co-author, Tony Robbins. How did you guys meet? Um, what was the motivation behind the book? Because you guys have a lot of financial books um, that you've put out in the past. What makes this book different or, or new? And you know, what was the motivation behind it? Well, the way I met him is a really interesting story, at least to me anyway. He had a 401k plan at his work, employed tons of people. And he met this guy, Tom Zagainer, who was handling independent 401k plans. And what he basically found out was that he had been paying two to 300% more for his 401k and his employees were paying two to 300% more than they needed to. So he wound up hiring Tom to handle his 401k. I didn't know Tom at the, at the time. Tom works at Creative Planning now. But that really opened up his eyes. And so he called two of his good friends. I think they're also clients of his, Ray Dalio and John P Tudor Jones, who are two of the greatest hedge fund managers of all time. And he just started asking them, like, what did he not understand? And they educated him a little bit on the investment world. And they also directed him to others. And so he wound up interviewing Alan Greenspan, who used to run the Federal Reserve, Charles Schwab, who obviously founded the company by the same name, John Bogle, who founded Vanguard, and you know many, many others, maybe 50 people or so. And his advisor at the time uh, had said, you should take all, I mean, no one's interviewed all these people, you should take all of these and turn them into a book. And he hadn't released a book in 20, 30 years, but anyway, he wound up doing that and he added a lot of what he learned from talking to all of those people and that book became wildly popular. And so some of my clients would show up with this book. And I'd never met Tony Robbins or talked to him. But they'd have questions from reading parts of the book. And uh, you know, the, the shorter version from there is along the way we met. And um, then we wound up writing Unshakable together. And then now I wrote The Path. And he covers a couple chapters in here, along with Jonathan Clements, who's used to write for The Wall Street Journal, who adds a chapter to the book as well. That's awesome. I mean, from my perspective in the self-help self world, Tony Robbins is like a legend. He's been doing it since he was 17. Like he's the goat when it comes to those things. So it's awesome that you got to work with him. And uh, maybe one day you can introduce me to Tony Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> so you start off the book with a really bold claim. You say the financial services industry is broken. And um, you've had a career journey and experiences that really helped you see the financial services industry from a different vantage point. Tell us about that, um, how you were able to kind of see what was wrong with, with the industry and why, in fact, you think that it's broken. Well, you know, it's funny because Tony learned about it by being on the receiving end and finding out, you know, that he was kind of getting screwed over and his employees were on, on the fees and their plan. I learned about it on the advisor end. You know, I was a advisor. I was doing planning for clients, but also did legal work for clients through other advisors. And I met a lot of amazing advisors that were really, really good. But I also met a bunch that were really selling products and selling uh, variable annuities and doing things that may might have enriched them, but didn't really enrich the client. And it exposed a lot of the conflicts in the industry, which is most of the time when we're when someone's paying an advisor. They're really paying them to then sell them an investment product. And really, you want a separation of the product from the advisor. And that was my main takeaway from, from uh, the beginning of my career. Yeah. 
So that's really interesting. And I think we can dig deeper later on in terms of like how to find the right financial advisor and things like that. Is there anything else in terms of the financial industry that you want to speak to in terms of why it's it's so broken? Like, are there any other themes or trends that we should be aware of? Well, I think the main theme is you want to work with an advisor that's a fiduciary all the time, has to act in your best interests on everything all the time, every investment, uh, all the planning, all of that. Second, you, it's great to work with an advisor that only gets paid one way, that they don't have an incentive to, they don't have an incentive to recommend one investment over the other. And you would, ideally, you're working with an advisor whose company does not own their own products, because otherwise that advisor is going to be inclined to use those products, which may or may not be best for you. But you wouldn't go to a Honda dealership and pay a fee and ask, what car should I buy? You'd wind up getting a Honda. So ideally, you have that separation. And I think all of those things together help. And if you want to go that you know, the extra mile, having a planning-led approach helps. So it's nice to have investments, but it's even better to have the investments pointed towards an actual objective, towards an actual goal. And I think that's a very, very big part of making sure you're on the right path uh, when you're investing. Yeah, totally. And I think it's important to note that most financial advisors out there or wealth managers, as they call them, they're really just salespeople. You know, at the end of the day, they're they're trying to push products and you want an advisor. You don't want a salesperson who's advising your financial feature. Okay. So when it comes to money, mindset is everything. Let's talk about perspective because I know that you believe that having like a balanced, accurate view of the world is important so that you can make good financial decisions. Um, We tend to view the past as the golden age. We're always wishing that it could go back to the way that it was. And we tend to look at the future very pessimistically. Um, But you say life is actually better than it has ever been. Uh, So tell us the good news. Why is life so much better now than it was yesterday? And how can that help us uh, get into the mindset in making good financial decisions? Yeah, there's just something about the human condition that we find a way to be pessimistic when everything tells us all the facts point to constant progress and optimism. I mean, it's kind of amazing. I think it's funny that when people use like this phone, we call it a phone, but it's a supercomputer that can basically do things that you used to need a hundred things or a thousand things to, to do back in all the way back in 2007. You know, you needed to have an atlas and an alarm clock and a calculator. And I mean, there's all, we can do everything on this phone has more technology than, than what was used to land on the moon. Um, and we'll use that phone to go complain about how bad things are today online, right? It's just, it's so crazy. And sometimes we'll do it while we're having lunch where we might have a salad that 15 different farms were involved in getting that salad on our table and we're paying less for it adjusted for inflation than people did 50 years ago. We find a way to complain despite things being not just good, but beyond the wildest dreams of everyone on earth 50 years ago. So there is no good old days. I mean, we've been around for tens of thousands of years. Only a completely insane person would say, I would rather be alive in the 1800s or the 1500s or the thousands or whatever, back when there wasn't plumbing and heating and cooling and all the wonderful food we get to eat. And I mean, just we can go see each other more easily. Everything about the world today is better. But we, we're we attracted to bad news. We're attracted to negativity. It's much more easy to sound smart if you're pessimistic than optimistic. And the media knows this and they feed into all of those natural biases that we have. But if you look at everything, it's stunning the speed. Let's just take music as an example. I mean, 
he used to have to be live. And then we got to the eight track and records and we got to cassette tapes. Then we got to CDs and then we got to MP3. Now, you know, we can get any song pretty much ever published in one second, right? Instantly in our, in our hand. This was impossible to imagine 15 years ago. And we could do the same thing with movies and we can same, I mean, all quality of life from the average size of a home to the amount of money we have to spend on food versus things we enjoy to the amount of money we all make adjusted for inflation. By every measure, the world is better today than it used to be. And where it ties into investing is investing is really a bet on the future, right? So if you bet the future is going to be bad, you're not going to invest in things like stocks and you're going to do very poorly. But if you accept not optimism, but reality, that the future probably is going to be better than today, just like every 50-year period tends to be, if we look 10 years down the road, 20 years, 30, is it going to be better? Most certainly, it probably will be, right? And if you believe that, then it becomes easier to be a good investor and not get shaken up by all the noise that's out there. What's up, Yap Bam? Being an entrepreneur and working remotely definitely has its perks. And I know a lot of you listening in are in the same boat as me. But do you really take advantage of being able to work from anywhere? I know I typically don't, but thankfully this past holiday, I finally decided to make use of my work flexibility for the first time ever. My boyfriend and I decided to pack up and leave to the West Coast to spend an entire month working from home in the sun. We got a super cute bungalow in Venice Beach with a fenced backyard. The change in scenery, the fresh air, and the slower pace to help me to inspire some really cool new ideas for my business. And honestly, I'm feeling really refreshed and ready to rock in 2024. And who helped me make these remote work dreams come true? It was Airbnb. And Airbnb has come in clutch for me time and time again. Whether it's finding the perfect Airbnb home for our three-day annual executive team get-together or booking a vacation where my extended family can fit all in one place, Airbnb always makes it a great experience. And you know me, I'm always thinking of my latest business venture and I've been begging my boyfriend to start hosting our place on Airbnb. And finally, we're gonna start. So many of my successful friends host on Airbnb and it's such an amazing way to generate passive income. So to start, we have a plan to start spending more time in Miami and we'll be hosting our place to earn some extra money when we're back on the East Coast. 2024 goals and I'll keep you updated. A lot of people don't realize that they might have an Airbnb right under their own noses. I was pretty surprised myself. You can Airbnb your place or spare room, even if you're out of town for just a few days or weeks. You could do what I did and work remotely somewhere else and Airbnb your place to fund your trip. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. That's Airbnb.com slash host to find out how much your home is worth. Yeah, fam, I want to talk about focus. When I started my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass, I needed to focus on creating the best course possible. I didn't have time to worry about how to set up my website and collect payments. And that's why I set up my store on Shopify. (coughs) Launching App Academy through Shopify was one of the best decisions I've ever made. We made nearly $500,000 so far. And since I sell a course, that's pretty much pure profit. Are you ready to be young and profiting too? Then launch your business with Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, whether you're a side hustler, new entrepreneur, or rocking a multi-million dollar business. And it doesn't matter if you're selling scented soap or a marketing masterclass like me, Shopify helps you sell anything, anywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. 
And when it comes to e-commerce, Shopify turns online window shoppers into actual buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. We're talking 36% better on average compared to other platforms with features like abandoned cart campaigns, discount promo codes, and so much more. Fun fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., including huge brands like Thrive Cosmetics and Allbirds. No matter your stage, no matter if it's online or in person, Shopify is always the right commerce platform for you. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting, and that's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash profiting. Yeah, fam, I did a big thing recently. I rolled out benefits to my U.S. employees. They now get healthcare and 401ks. And maybe this doesn't sound like a big deal to you, but it was surely a big deal to me because benefits were like the boogeyman to me. I thought for sure we couldn't afford it. I thought that it was gonna be so complicated, so hard to set up, lots of risk involved. And in fact, so many of my star employees have left in the past citing benefits as the only reason why. And here I was thinking that we couldn't afford benefits when it's literally not that expensive at all and you actually split the cost between the employee and the employer. I had no idea. I found out on JustWorks. JustWorks has been a total lifesaver for me. We were using two other platforms for payroll, one for domestic in US, one for international. We had our HR guidelines and things like that, employee handbook on another site, and everything was just everywhere. Now everything's consolidated with JustWorks, a tried and tested employee management platform. You get automated payments, tax calculations, and withholdings with expert support anytime you need it. And on top of that, there's no hidden fees. You can leave all the boring stuff to JustWorks and just get to business. And with automatic time tracking, it has made managing my international hires a little bit more soothing for my soul that I know that they're actually working and they're tracking their time. I mean, it's really hard to manage remote employees. It's easy to get started right away. All you need is 30 minutes. You don't even have to be in front of your computer. You can just get started right on your phone. Take advantage of this limited time offer. Start your free month now at justworks.com profiting. Let JustWorks run your payroll so you don't have to. Start your free month now at JustWorks.com slash profiting. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. You actually quote Matt Ridley from The Rational Optimist, and he explains the rapid acceleration of human progress over the past 50 years. He says, in 2005, compared to 1955, the average human being on the planet Earth earned nearly three times as much money adjusted for inflation, ate one-third more calories of food, burned one-third as many, and buried one-third as many of her children as could, uh, I'll redo this later, <laughs> as could expect to live one-third longer. I butchered that. Sorry, I'll redo that later. Um, yeah, so, so it's so clear that things are drastically improving. And I want to touch on one point um, that you made just a little earlier in terms of the news. Let's talk about the media and the news for a second in terms of shaping our perspectives. Um, in the book, you mentioned that, like, really, media is a for-profit industry, right? Um, they're there to make money, not necessarily to inform. So tell us more about that and why that's a problem in terms of, you know, how it shapes our mind and, and behaviors for investing. Well, we think about how the media makes money. So the, the media wakes up every day and they have a fiduciary obligation to make money for their shareholders. So if you're a publicly traded company, 
you have a legal obligation to your shareholders. So those are the people that own the stock in the company. Well, whether we look at NBC, ABC, CBS, MSNBC, Fox, uh, CNN, all of these places are part of publicly traded companies, which means they wake up every day going, how do we maximize our return to shareholders? Well, how do these places make money? They sell advertising. They don't make money from news. They sell advertising. How do you get more money from advertising? Well, you have to have more viewers. A show with 10,000 viewers is going to be able to charge an advertiser more than a show with 1,000 viewers. Coca-Cola will pay more money to hit more people more frequently, right? So now how are they going to get more viewers? Well, they have to have content that brings people back. Well, we know people are attracted to negative news more than positive news. It's just a fact. It, in their, and negative news is more effective. It's why for every positive ad campaign you'll see by either party in politics, seven will be negative. People respond to the negativity more. Unfortunately, it works. They don't spend the money on negative ads just to be mean. They're doing it because it works. It's the same thing with the news. So the Weather Channel's ratings are higher when the weather's terrible. And if it's a question, the Weather Channel is not going to put people at ease, right? The Weather Channel is going to keep this narrative going as long as possible because it means more eyeballs on the screen, which makes their ratings better, which gets more advertisers, which makes more money for the shareholders, and they've fulfilled their fiduciary obligation. So if you can focus on that when it comes to investing, you know that when you're watching financial media or reading financial media, there's a tremendous incentive for them to make everything into a narrative, into a story, into a news cycle, into a crisis that keeps you coming back for more, just kind of like a soap opera. And there is a tremendous, tremendous disincentive that can't be overstated to calm anybody down. And so I think if you if investors understand that, they're less likely to make investment mistakes. Anyway, the side benefit is if, if all of us understand that, we're less likely to make just get all worked up about everything all of the time, you know? Yeah. So then tell us, you say that it's now is better than ever to be an investor, at least a globally diversified investor. So tell us about that. Like why is now, I know you just kind of set the stage, but really drill it home. Like why is now the best time to start investing? Well, if you think about what drives the market, the market likes to see technology and innovation. So they want to see are things, you know, getting better that make things easier. We know that there, as there are advancements, there's this myth that it kills jobs and it doesn't kill jobs at all. In the 1800s, one in two of us were farmers. You know, today it's less than one in 20, but we have more farm output and the job unemployment stayed the same. We then, if you go back to 1950, one in four of us was in manufacturing. Today it's, you know, less than one in 20. Yet we produce more goods through manufacturing because of technology and unemployment has stayed the same. So the quality of life of everybody gets better with these advancements, but those things also drive markets. We need innovation to drive markets. So one, you have to ask yourself, am I living at a time in history where there are advancements with technology and innovation. Any rational person has to say yes to that. The second thing we need is we need people to buy this stuff. So we need the demographics to come into play. Well, we know over the next 10 years, we have 1.2 billion people emerging from poverty all over the world. Well, what do those people do when they emerge from poverty? Well, they might buy Nike shoes. They might go to McDonald's. They might go to Walmart. These are all publicly traded companies. It gets reflected in the markets. So you, if you, we look objectively at at demographics and innovation and technology, we have to say not only is it a good time moving forward, but literally the maybe the best time ever uh, to be alive with those factors mattering to the outcome. Yeah. 
I think that's a really good point. One thing that I want to talk about next is the S&P 500. So um, last time we talked, we talked about how the S&P 500 was a great thing to invest your money in and that typically, um, you know, year over year, it's an average of like eight to 10% return on your money when you invest in the S&P 500. In this book, you guys mentioned uh, something about the lost decade. Um, So that's between 2000 and 2009, a full 10 years, the S&P 500 produced 0% returns. This is much different than what I had thought. I thought the S&P 500 was like safe, no matter what, you put your money in there and you're good, right? And I think a lot of people think think that. And we've been kind of like taught that and it's been like drilled down our throats the past couple of years in terms of, you know, young people investing their money. You've got to do the S&P 500, blah, blah, blah. So tell us why, you know, this isn't exactly true and like why we need to diversify in order to mitigate any risks with uh, putting our money in the S&P 500. Well, nothing goes straight up and in the S&P 500, it definitely does not go straight up. So if you if you invest in the in the market, the S&P 500 today, the odds you'll have a positive return a year from now are three out of four, 75%. That's pretty good. No one wants to bet their life savings on 75%. Uh, but if you leave it in the market for three years, five years, your odds have moved to 93%, 95%, 10 years, 98% plus. So it's really, you've got to invest it and and spend the time in there. And you've got to know that corrections are going to happen. About every year, there's a correction. A correction is a drop of about 14% or more. Some years, like 2020, there's a bear market, which is a drop of 20% or more. The average bear market is 34%. Believe it or not, with the coronavirus crisis, the market dropped exactly 34%. It felt much worse because it was the fastest drop in history to that level. Uh, And there was a lot of uncertainty, and it involved health, which is obviously the only thing to many people, scarier than than losing their money. But it, in terms of depth, the average bear market. But like you just pointed out, there are very long periods of time where the market does not perform. So from 2000 to 2010, that same S&P 500 earned zero, something that normally would average 6 to 11% a year, average zero per year over 10 years. But over the same time period, international stocks were way up. Small stocks in the U.S. were way up. Small stocks overseas were way up. Emerging markets, real estate, and bonds were way up. So that's the importance of having your eggs spread out in several different baskets instead of all in just one index. Yeah. Um, In the book, you have a story of, I think it's Tony's story about his friend Jason. Do you know that story? And can you share that with us um, so that our listeners can really understand the point of diversification and its importance? Well, I think Jason had had, I'm familiar with this person, he had had this very big run uh, with real estate. And he really just thought he couldn't lose because history told him he can't lose. And it kept going and going and going. And he just was one of those people that really wanted to have an entourage around him all the time and have a lot of things, had a lot of a very public way of displaying um, his wealth. Ultimately, he never diversified. And the story ended you know, very tragically uh, for him when the housing market and condo market blew up in the 2008-2009 crisis. And had he just taken a little piece and diversified it, things would be a lot different. I mean, the more modern day story of that is someone has a bunch of money in a tech stock, the tech stock takes off. If they hold it, will it keep going? Maybe for a while, but eventually every company does itself in and you never know when that's going to be. And so we always encourage people, just take something and diversify it so you're never at the mercy of having all your eggs in one basket. 
Yeah, I think that makes sense. So the S&P 500 is really like U.S. companies. So to mitigate that, we would choose international companies to invest in or real estate, like you just mentioned, or other avenues, bonds, whatever it is, um, something that diversifies your portfolio so that if something does tank or, or doesn't improve in terms of your return, um, you have other options to, to make money. So that makes sense. So let's talk about our emotional needs and what that has to do with money. So in the book, you and Tony touch on six human needs, certainty, variety, significance, love and connection, growth and contribution. Could you go over these human needs at a high level with us and let us know maybe what you prioritize in terms of your human needs? So I I thought, you know, when he asked me, what do you think I should write about in this book? I specifically asked him to talk about those things because the book is really about identifying your goals. And he writes a lot. He's written a lot in the past about, well, you really need to know what drives you. A lot of people aren't really in tune with what drives them. Some people are motivated by contribution, which is they want to make a difference, whether in their in their work or with their family or with charities or in the community. A lot of people feel that need to do that. Uh, and if that's your goal, then you, you're driven to accumulate a certain amount of wealth and maybe set up a foundation or free up your time so you can volunteer your time to the charities or, or others. Some people are motivated by certainty. They really need to know what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. And otherwise, they're anxious. That would really drive a lot about your investments, too. So there's a whole chapter writing about these six basic needs that we have and trying to identify in yourself which needs do each of us have and having that get built into the financial plan. Yeah. And what are your, like, what needs do you focus on when you're considering your plan? Like, what do you care about? You know, I can't, one of the needs is certainty versus variety. And I'm definitely a variety person. So one of the things I love about my profession is that every day it's different. You know, you just never know what's, you know, what's going to happen or what's going to come up. And, and I like, I enjoy that. I enjoy all of the change that comes with things. I'm very motivated by contribution. I like making a difference in the community. I like making a difference for clients. I I know that a lot of the people on our team are really motivated by that and trying to lead the industry in a a certain way, or at least put a dent in the industry. And so those are two very big motivators for me personally. Yeah. And speaking of contribution, 100% of your profits for The Path with Tony Robbins is going towards uh, Feeding America. It's a charity. I think you guys have a mission of, of feeding 1 billion people or 1 billion meals. So that's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. We're excited about that. And in this particular case, a lot of it's going to the cities where we have offices, which are a lot of the major markets in the United States, as well as where our headquarters is, and then to the national, you know, Feeding America organization as well. So we're very excited about it. That's cool. Um, So let's talk about compound interest and why that's so powerful. You have a great story in the book about Kodak that illustrates the power of compounding. Uh, Would you share that story with us and how, you know, they almost created the first digital camera and what went wrong there? So the the idea of compounding is that things are going to double. And when things double, they happen very quickly. So you think about Kodak doubling the quality of an image, or most of us can identify with an iPhone, right? Like the speed with which the camera doubles or our internet speed would double or what we could hold on a laptop doubles and it doubles and doubles and doubles. And it gets to a point where it's absolutely stunning what it can do. And the same thing applies to money. You know, if you have $10,000 in your 20 and you just earn 7%, well, when you're 30, it will double to 20,000. But when you're 40, it's 40,000. And when you're 50, it's 80,000. And when you're 60, it's 160,000. So that 10,000 has become 160,000. It's amazing. 
what that power of compounding does because you're adding to a bigger number every time. It's a, the concept drives a lot of technology, uh, innovate, it, it drives the speed with which we get technology, but it also uh, has a lot to do with money. And so your listeners, I know your audience is very young in general, and they should really be thinking about setting aside something, no matter how small, as soon as they can to get the advantage of compounding on their side. Yeah. Do you have any examples in terms of your clients who have done this really well and have used compounding to their advantage? You know, the the reality is a lot of people that come to creative planning, they start out older. You start thinking about retirement, you know, when they're in their 40s or later, and then they come to us. And when we're fortunate enough, you know, to get those 20% of clients or so that are starting in their 20s or 30s, it's incredible. I mean, like all of their projections always work out because if you're saving for education or retirement and things like that at such a young age, you have the biggest advantage that, that exists when it comes to money, which is time. The biggest advantage is time. If you don't have time, you've got to find a way to come up with more money or change your objectives or push off your retirement or something else to make it work. And so if you've got somebody in their 20s or 30s, that's willing to start, they should just open an account and start saving as quickly as they can. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about outcomes. You mentioned this earlier, the importance of knowing exactly what you want. So tell us, why is it so important to know exactly what we want before we actually start investing and start putting our money in stocks and things like that? A lot of us just think, well, when, when we, we want to make a lot of money. That's what a lot of us think we want. And so we then go to somebody or we do it on our own and say, I'm going to buy things that make a lot of money. But really, we want to make a lot of money. Why? You know, to do what? Is it to have 120000 a year when you're 63? Is it to have the money to pay for someone's college, whether it's public school or private school, for four years? Are we going to cover room and board or not? Is it because we want to give 10% of our money every year to charity or something different? If we have those pieces in place, which should come first, if we know what the goal is first, it becomes very easy to reverse engineer our way to how do we how do we put the pieces in place to make those things happen and sometimes those are aggressive investments sometimes they're not sometimes to increase the chance of hitting a goal you get more conservative so let's say you have somebody that's super lucky and they've got a million dollars and they need 50,000 a year for the rest of their life and they're retiring today well, if they're super aggressive, they could actually screw up something that would work out just fine if they were moderately invested. So we really have to know what the objective is because the objective is not always to create the biggest pile of money next year possible. It's usually to produce something you personally want and then you back into the investments that make sense to get there. Yeah. Let's clear up some definitions because I think people get these confused. What's the difference between financial independence and retirement? Like, Why are they actually different? Well, I think they're very different. So retirement is you're done working, right? Uh, financial independence is you get up in the morning and whatever you're doing, it's because you want to do it. So if you go to work, it's because you feel fulfilled going to work. If you are doing two jobs, it's because you have to. If you're writing a book, it's because you have to. Financial independence means you can walk out the door of your job, whatever you want, and go just do whatever, you know, golf or swim or vacation or whatever it is you want to do every day. So financial independence is a liberating feeling because it's hard to be anxious about anything when you know you're choosing to do it. No one's making you do it. Young and Profiters, my company, Yap Media, is growing fast. We're onboarding client after client. We're landing a ton of huge deals. And my team just can't keep up. I knew we needed to hire new employees to support my team, but I didn't want to waste my time sifting through candidates who aren't good fits for my company. 
That's why I use Indeed, the ultimate hiring platform. Indeed makes it easy for me to find great talent fast. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality candidates compared to other job sites. And I don't have to spend hours looking for these great candidates. Indeed's matching engine sends me a list of quality candidates who meet my job requirements the moment I post a job. I can also message candidates, screen their profiles and resumes, send them skills assessments, and schedule interviews with them all from Indeed. It's really an all-in-one platform. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to give your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash profiting. Just go to indeed.com slash profiting right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash profiting. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Young and profiters, AI is changing how we do business. At Yap Media, we use AI to do things like create AI voice models of my voice in case I get sick. And we also use it for basic things like transcribing captions and our meetings. This AI and algorithm-infused world is awesome, but it does dramatically increase all the choices and decisions we have to make in business on a daily basis. Everything is just so much more complex than it used to be. We have to be sure to analyze our data to make the right decisions while also avoiding assumptions and cognitive bias. Ultimately, we all could use some better critical thinking skills moving into the future. And we can look no further than to Economist Education. They just rolled out a new critical thinking course, but it's different from other programs out there on the topic because they focus on today's AI environment and they use real case studies that help you challenge your narrow views and avoid groupthink. Economist Education has two to six week online programs covering everything from international relations to writing and sustainability, and they're made specifically for executives and entrepreneurs. Their programs feature experts and senior editors from The Economist. Actually, one of my favorite authors, Daniel Kahneman, who wrote Thinking Fast and Slow, is one of the guest speakers in the critical thinking course that I just took. When you sign up for one of their programs, you also get a three-month digital subscription to The Economist to support your learning. Economist education is a great way to stay ahead in your career. And I've got a special offer to get you started. Get 15% off any course from Economist Education, only available by going to my exclusive URL, education.economist.com slash profiting. That's education.economist.com slash profiting. And enter my code profiting at registration. This offer ends March 31st. So don't wait for 15% off. Go now to education.economist.com slash profiting and use code profiting at checkout. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's helpful. It's, it's helpful when you think of your outcomes because it's like, are you really planning for your financial independence or are you planning for your retirement? They're two different things. Okay, cool. So you in your, in your book, you talk about the need to have a number of plans in place before we ever start investing. You talk about things like a net worth statement, retirement projections, education projections, insurance projections, risk management, estate planning. So, so many different things that you cover. I don't think we're going to have time to cover all of them on the show, but what are some of the plans that we should really focus on before we ever start investing our money? Well, I think you should at least have two or three things clarified. So, I mean, one, you, what do you have today? What are your assets and what are your liabilities? That's all a net worth statement is, is, oh, I own a condo, I have an IRA, I have a 401k, I have an investment account, I have a car. Maybe that's the net worth statement. And, and then the liability side of the net worth statement might be, I have some student loans and I have a mortgage and I owe some money on my car. And so the assets minus the liabilities gives us your net worth. Some of those assets bring money to you 
and some take money away from you. So we have to distinguish between those two. So a house might be an asset on the piece of paper, but really we pay to have the house every month. Even if it's paid off, we've got taxes, maintenance, insurance, we're paying to have that asset. Versus if we have an investment account or a rental property, that's paying us usually, you know, every month, something. So we need to start with that. And then we just have to set some simple goals. When do you want to be financially independent? Do you want to pay for your kid's college? Are you trying to get a debt free? Let's get two or three goals in place. And then let's say, okay, all these assets and liabilities in our net worth statement, how should we make those assets work for us to make those goals happen? And how do we get the liabilities contained so they don't get in the way of our goals? Hmm. You break it down so simply, but it, it seems so complicated at the same time. Um, so in terms of somebody helping us make these decisions, I know the importance of an independent financial advisor is very important. Could you tell us the difference between what a, a broker and an independent financial advisor is? So a broker, you know, about 90% of advisors are brokers, and brokers basically don't have a fiduciary obligation to act in their client's best interests all the time. So that would allow them to use their own product when their own product might be a little more expensive or sell an investment with a commission when there's a way to buy that investment commission-free. About 90% of advisors fall in that bucket. And then about 10% are independent. Independent advisors cannot make a commission on a mutual fund, for example. They wouldn't be able to sell a variable annuity, for example. And I'm not saying those things are always bad. I'm just saying, well, I guess a commission on a mutual fund is always bad, but most of the time they are. And so I think that if you have that independent advisor, you at least have somebody who's legally obligated to pick the best investments they can for you. And that should, it's sad that that has to be the starting point, but that should be at least a starting point for choosing someone to work with. Yeah. And so for people around my age or younger, like when should we actually start thinking about having an independent financial advisor? Because from my perspective, it seems safer to do it by myself for now, right? Um, so is that the right way to think? Or is there like a certain benchmark we should hit before we actually go seek out an independent financial advisor? Well, I think if you can get a great advisor, you're almost always going to be better off with that advisor. I think there's a reason that the higher net worth people go, the more likely they are to work with an advisor because the higher net worth tend to be to know the difference an advisor can make. But the problem is most advisors will put you in a worse spot. So think if you're just starting out, it really is pretty simple. Open an account, max out your retirement plans at work if you can, whether it's with a 401k or open a Roth IRA and put as much money as you can into those, into those things. And if you have debts that are high interest rate, like if you're paying more than 6%, whether it's credit cards or somehow you have a mortgage or student loans or car loans at those rates, pay those down before you invest because you've got a guaranteed 6 to 10 to 20% on those things if those rates are high. It doesn't make sense to go invest if you've got credit card debt at 15% because you're never going to, you're probably not going to invest and earn 15% year in and year out. You may as well take the guarantee of paying down the card. So getting the liabilities under control and maxing out a 401k and Roth IRA and investing in indexes is probably what most people that are just starting out need to do. If they get over $50,000, $100,000, they really should consider at least looking for an independent advisor. I think that makes sense. So you just mentioned a Roth IRA and it reminded me of something in your book. I think about more than half of my listeners probably work at a corporation. I work at Disney. Um, what tips do you have for somebody who actually works at a big corporation in terms of how they should invest their money and what advantages they should take? Well, some corporations, not all, but if you, any of your listeners are fortunate enough to work for a corporation that has a match, they should definitely take advantage of the match. So what I mean by that is if you have a 401k plan at work, 
it means you're allowed to put money away uh, without paying taxes on that up front. So let's say you're, you have a listener, they're making 80000 a year. They pay taxes on 80000 But let's say they take 10000 and put it in the 401k. They won't pay taxes on 80000 because that 10000 goes into the 401k before that. So only pay taxes on 70000 So that's big advantage number one of putting money in a 401k is it's not going to be taxed today. It's not taxed till you withdraw it decades later. The second advantage is the money grows tax-free. Um, and the third advantage is we get compounding on our side by doing it earlier. But some corporations make it even better than that and say, look, if you put some money in the 401k, we'll match it. So you might they might say, look, the first 8000 you put in there, we'll give you $8,000. Well, that's 100% return on your money. So all of your listeners should basically go to their employer and say, is there a match? If there is a match, they should at a minimum put that much in their 401k plan immediately. Uh, no matter what's going on with the rest of their net worth statement, they should be doing that. So even if like, um, because 401k, from my understanding, they're actually like investing it in other stocks and things like that, right? So like no matter what they choose to invest that money in, you're saying no matter what, do it and get get the match. That's right. If there's a match, doesn't just definitely do it. And then from there, within the 401k, you get to pick, is it the S&P 500, if that's in the plan, or is it international stocks, or is it bonds or real estate? The, the plan, if it's a good one, will have a multitude of options. Um, but definitely don't miss out on that match. Cool. So the next topic I want to talk about is insurance. I think that um, millennials, we don't really talk about insurance. People tend to think about insurance when they're older, life insurance, things like that. What do we need to keep in mind when it comes to insurance in your perspective? So insurance is, if you don't have insurance, the plan can really, really blow up. I mean, you can be on track for everything. And if if you die and you have a, a young family with young kids relying on you, what's going to happen to them? Yeah, maybe you're on track to be retired when you're 60. But if you get hit by a bus when you're 28 and you've got two little kids, how are they going to go to school? How's that house going to get paid off? How's your spouse going to continue to to live? Are they going to pay for childcare at home, quit the job? What's, what's going to happen? So you want to protect against that problem with a term insurance policy. A term insurance just means you're buying insurance for a period of time or a term of time. So it's not permanent. doesn't stay with you your whole life. But if you're 30 and we know that your kids will be out of the house and your house will be paid for by the time you're 50 and you'll have savings to take care of your spouse when you're 50, well, we're not worried about 50 and later. Everything would be okay if you're around then. We just need insurance to get us from age 30 to 50. So we'd buy a 20-year term insurance policy. It costs very, very little, usually hundreds of dollars, and solves a big, big problem. And you want to look at that through all parts of your life, whether it's about insuring against a disability or your home burning down or a car accident or whatever. We don't want the family to lose everything, all of their wealth, because you didn't get some low-cost coverage to protect you against a really adverse situation. I think that makes sense. So this really drives the point home in terms of having to look at your financial plan like very holistically instead of in silos. Tell us more about that. Like what 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 else do we need to consider when financial planning and why is it so important to look at the full picture and not just like little silos? Well, if you think about it, what people really want is they want to be secure and accomplish their goals. But to do that is not just one thing. It's not just saving money. It's not just a 401k. It's not just insurance. It's all the aspects of growing wealth. You know, what am I trying to do? How do I get there? It's all the aspects of protecting your wealth. How do I not lose my wealth 
because of a problem that happened along the way. Someone slipped and fell on the ice on my sidewalk. You know, how do I not lose all my wealth over that incident? And then it's how to transfer the wealth. Like if something happens to you early, whether it's an incapacity or death, how does that move in a low cost private way to other people? And so all of those things are part of the same plan. And we have to be thinking about all of them. It's not as complicated as it sounds. I break it down step by step in the path in the book. But you really have to look at all of them because if one thing goes wrong, it's enough to derail the plan. Totally. Cool. So I think this was a great discussion. In terms of the book, is there anything else that you want to to drive home to my listeners or anything that you think we should touch on? You know, I've written another book, The Five Mistakes Every Investor Makes. I wrote another book with Tony, uh, Unshakable. This one is really the first time I've written about step-by-step you know, how to do all of these things. And so I try to make it very, very clear. You know, here are the components of building wealth. Here are the components of protecting wealth. Here are the components of transferring wealth. And here are the things you need and why you need them to get them done. So hopefully I've laid that out really clearly. I I did my best to do that. And your listeners can, you know, pick up the path on Amazon or any bookstore. um, And they can reach out to Creative Planning by going to our website, creativeplanning.com, or they can follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, or, or Facebook as well. Awesome. Yeah, I highly recommend it. I, you know, read it end to end. I think it gives great strategies. A lot of the stuff we also covered back in uh, episode number 72 in terms of like how the markets work, what's the difference between a bear market, a bull market. So I would definitely recommend to go back and check that episode out. The last question I ask all my guests is, uh, what is your secret to profiting in life? I, so I view profiting in life as more just trying to enjoy life. And I think the secret is priorities, just knowing knowing what really matters. I, f- I feel like I know what matters to me. And I focus my time and energy and the things that I'm thinking about in my mind on those things as much as I possibly can. And it, it has resulted in me you know, enjoying life a lot more than before I really thought about it with that kind of clarity and just kind of got up and went about my day. And so I think at least for me, just really knowing what my priorities are, what I'm focused on has made a big difference. I think that's that's sound advice. And it goes back to what you were saying before, really knowing your outcomes so that you can have the right plan so that you can uh, effectively achieve those goals. I think that's great. Thank you so much, Peter. It's always such a pleasure to have you on Young and Profiting Podcast. We're so grateful to have had this conversation with you and uh, we'll put the link for your book in our show notes. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or comment on YouTube, SoundCloud, or your favorite platform. Reviews make all the hard work worth it. They're the ultimate thank you to me and the Yap team. The other way to support us is by word of mouth. Share this podcast with a friend or family member who may find it valuable. Follow Yap on Instagram at Young and Profiting and check us out at youngandprofiting.com. You can find me on Instagram at yapwithhala or LinkedIn. Just search for my name, Hala Taha. Until next time, this is Hala signing off.